IlliniGuys.com, Larry Smith here, and uh, with a very special guest. We're so glad that you guys have uh, joined in on this podcast. But um, uh, a friend of mine who I've known for, Mike, I was trying to think, probably 25 years, maybe longer. I would, I would, that would have been the number I would have used. Yeah, I'm thinking uh, 97 Final Four in Indianapolis when uh, Arizona beat Kentucky in overtime. Mike DeCourcy, he is a senior basketball writer with Sporting News also an analyst on uh, Big Ten Network. Um, Mike, it is always a pleasure talking with you and a belated Happy New Year to you. Well, thank you. Uh, yeah, very belated. We're already in. <laughs> belated, but also a belated Groundhog Day. Happy there you Groundhog go. Day to you. <laughs> That's better. That's a better holiday. That's right. That's right. So, um, well, first I want to, in, in trying to think of the how far back you and I go, um, I had read you on Sporting News long before I met you at that Final Four in Indy. Um, so give us a kind of a background. How do you get started and become the senior basketball writer um, for a publication like the Sporting News? Well, uh, I'll try to make it as quick as possible. First of all, you didn't read me that long before that because I started there in 1995 as okay. what back then uh, – Sporting News had a weekly columnist for every major sport, and most of us, if not all of us at that point, were regular writers, mostly on newspapers elsewhere. And I was very fortunate, I, I, very unfortunate in 1992 that the newspaper where I had intended to work my entire career, the Pittsburgh Press, uh, was felled by a, uh, by a strike, not, not, a, not a journalist strike, but a strike in another part of the building. And the owners of the paper decided rather than fight the strike any longer, they would put us up for sale, sold us to the competition. They put us out of business. They kept some of the people who were on staff at the press, but not all and not me. And I wound up going to Memphis. And honestly, Larry, this is a lesson in, in what is possible when you hit a rough spot. I, when I moved to Memphis, I took a, big pay cut. And I'm not afraid to say that, uh, but I wanted to stay in the business. And really, I didn't have any idea what else I would do. Uh, I didn't have a clue. And it was not a good time to be an out of sports, uh, out of, out of work sports writer, because this was after the national. Uh, those who mm. have been around for a while might remember the national, which was kind of like uh, a printed athletic. The athletic is kind of uh, the concept that the national was, but uh, but 30 years ago and printed. And so that went out of business. And there were so many great writers that were on the market still. And so I was lucky enough to be able to get a job at the Memphis Commercial Appeal. I did not view it as being lucky, to be honest with you. I felt like it was being sent down to AAA. <laughs> and, and, and that's not to demean Memphis or anything, but I didn't really know anything about Memphis at that. Right. And, and so... When I went there, what I discovered was that all the stuff that I loved about basketball and knew about basketball and wanted to learn about basketball, there was a market for it in Memphis that what that didn't exist in Pittsburgh. Mm -hmm. uh, Pittsburgh wanted me to write well and they wanted me to cover the team, break the news and all that. But the game wasn't important in Pittsburgh. Mm -hmm. It was football, baseball, hockey, uh, college football. And somewhere along the line, we wound up talking about college hoops. It was not a priority. In Memphis, it was the whole deal. Mm -hmm. The Memphis Tigers were the Yankees to the city of Memphis. Right. And I was fortunate enough to get that beat. And it allowed me to really push myself. And 
And I, honestly, if I hadn't moved, I don't think I would have ever wound up at Sporting News. I would have never wound up at BTN uh, and Fox. That forced me to, to really go after my dreams instead of just saying, hey, this is a great paper. I'm, I'm surrounded by great talent in Pittsburgh. I like my job. I like my life. My whole family's here. I mean, I probably worked, although I, I worked really hard during the, you know, during the shifts, I, I certainly didn't push myself to, to, be great, to be great in Pittsburgh. I pushed myself to be great during the work hours and whatever off hours you need to break the news or whatever. But I, in Memphis, I pushed myself to be great. Uh, and whether I got there or not, I pushed myself. And that's basically how I wound up when the Sporting News had an opening for that columnist I talked about, um, that I was fortunate enough, Tom Deanhart, who was the football uh, editor then, pushed for me to be hired. And I, I, I owe everything to him for that. Uh, John Rawlings listened to him. I owe everything to him for that. And that set me on to eventually becoming full-time at Sporting News. And from there, uh, I've been there for now for over 20 years full-time, 20, it'll be 21 in, in the fall. Uh, and it's been, it's been a great blessing. Uh, and uh, having the national platform at Sporting News eventually led to Big Ten Network. And that eventually led to getting a chance to do the brackets for Fox. So all that is basically a way of saying that when your di most difficult times come in your career, you don't have to be defeated by them. As long as you have ability and, and enthusiasm, you don't have to be defeated by the, the interruptions to your career. Not everybody is going to go from point A to point B to point C to retirement. It doesn't, all, sometimes it does, but not everybody is that lucky. And I certainly wasn't, but I was lucky enough to get opportunities that, that took me from point A to point D to back to point B to back to <laughs> et cetera. You know, that's a, um, what a great story. And, and I appreciate that because I think that when fans today watch you, I mean, you're Mike DeCourcy. I mean, you're the guy there and um, you, you know, you're the expert on so many different teams and, and the knowledge, um, you know, when you're on, you're one of those people that I always listen to. I'm like, okay, this guy knows what he's talking about. And I think it's great for people uh, taking this in to understand um, that there is a story. Everyone does have that story that you didn't just wake up one day and become this guy on BTN and, and who does the brackets for Fox. Uh, there's, a, there's a background that it takes some time and, and a lot of hard work and a lot of hours and a lot of sacrifice um, to get there. I, I wanna get into kind of how you've seen the game change since then. Um, the game now is, uh, it's college basketball. I think uh, you and I both share that, that passion for it, that it may be the greatest thing out there in sports. I think it is, and I think you do too. How do you see that the game has changed going back to uh, the early 90s, 30 years ago to today? Yeah, well, my first beat uh, in college basketball, my first real beat was 1986-87 Duquesne hmm. Dukes uh, for the Pittsburgh Press. Uh, and that was, the, you know, I went everywhere they went and all that and, uh, and covered them. And, and it, was, it was a different game then because there, there were, of course, there were elite talents, maybe seven or eight a year, that clearly didn't need four years of college basketball to develop into pros. And those players uh, who, who felt that they, that they could excel at the, at the uh, NBA level, Michael Jordan, uh, the year before that, or two years before that, went after three seasons to the NBA. 
uh, and and went to 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 uh, to be drafted by the Bulls. And and of course, it also was still was common though for a guy like Patrick Ewing to play four years, or a guy like Chris Mullen. They were great talents as well, and they easily could have uh, gone on. But there still was a feeling that there was something to get out of playing in college. I, I think over over the course of the time that I've been at Sporting News, I have seen forces around the game, not necessarily inside the game, but on the perimeter of the game, who have who have endeavored to make college basketball seem less important in the development of players. And it, it and I, I don't think it's ever really been for the best. I think there have been talents like Kobe, like LeBron, Kevin Garnett, a rare few others who were able to go directly from high school basketball to the NBA and excel and really reach their potential. I think there have been a lot more that probably didn't get quite to what they could have been because they skipped a step. And whether that step is the NBA or, a, or an international league or the G League or whatever, I still think it's, it's, it's like, why do we not take the best high school baseball players and throw them in against big league pitching? because they're not going to succeed. Right. And, and I, I think that's missing from, from those who think, just get them through. And now of course we have the age limit rule. So go through one year, doesn't matter what you do, you're still a draft pick, go. And look, if you come in and you're Zion Williamson, absolutely, right. go. Um, but if you come for BJ Boston and you can't, make, you can't make three jump shots in a row and you can't go through anybody, and, and your handle is still loose and you can't guard anybody. And even though you're, you've got this ridiculous Spider-Man length and quick feet, you still can't stay in front of anybody. I'm sorry. You're not ready to play in the NBA. And if you want to go sit at the end of somebody's bench, you can do that. And maybe you'll play in the G League a little while and you'll come back. And But you're probably better off in a system that is that has for – six decades minimum, probably seven, developed a system for turning you into a real player. Mm -hmm. And that's, and, and I, I argue with people all the time that that system still operates, it still functions, and it's still valuable. And those who take full advantage of it, I mean, if you look around the NBA now, look who still is great. Okay, Kevin Garnett. I mean, excuse me, uh, Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant's the one. Yeah, Durant's one of those guys. Yeah. yeah, but Steph Curry played three years in college. Yeah, Harden played two. I mean, those, those the, Draymond Green played four. Those guys are still they're still out there. Learn they're they're still out there and they'll they're still stars because when they went to the NBA, they had a foundation to grow on and I I. I there are, I, I, there are still people inside the league who will tell you that college doesn't matter at all, that they don't have any idea how to teach these players. And then I just, you know, all you have to do is roll out those names and say, this guy, this guy, this guy, they all got better because they were there. And if they were a, if they were a legendary talent, like a or someone like that, okay. Um, but most guys need a little bit of time to develop a, an understanding of the game a belief in themselves. That's the part that everybody misses. Yeah. You know, Mike, let's go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say what triple A pitching or double A pitching does for a baseball player is give them belief 
that when they're up at the plate, they should hit, get hit the ball. They should get hits instead of, am I going to get a hit? And that's, that's what, that's, what's missing. Right. I, I, you know, it's funny. You actually uh, wouldn't answer my second question about the one and done. So, I mean, my third question, my next question, and I couldn't agree with you more. And I make this argument that, that we have yet to see a, a one and done player lead the team who drafted him to an NBA title. We've, we've got Durant now, as you said, is the one player I would take as the exception to the rule. Um, AD, with the help of LeBron, got one in L.A. Um, this past year. But really, when I see the lottery pick today, the, the, the lottery part of the draft, it's an extension of college. And you're taking kids on potential that may not, when they reach their potential, either you've got to pay them so much money, regardless if they've done it or not, because that's the way the rules are, or you've got to send them elsewhere or they go sign elsewhere with a, with a super team, but they're not going to help you. And to your point, I make the same argument that um, to me, I, these days the draft becomes fun starting from 15 on, from 13 on, <laughs> because that's, these are the players that may make an impact right now. A few years ago, we had Malcolm Brogdon, a second rounder, become rookie of the year. How does that happen with all these, all the lottery? How did, you, how did every GM miss a kid like this? Well, he played four years for Virginia, for a coach whose dad was a coach who stresses X's and O's in the game and those kinds of things. And um, so I agree with you. And I think even looking at college basketball today, in terms of when you look at the teams at the top, the, the, the Gonzagas and, and the Baylors, um, you know, even Houston, what they're doing on their Iowa, um, these teams all are veteran teams. They're all led by upperclassmen and it's a solid system uh, that's in place. Um, I do want to get to the, the, the team that we follow on IlliniGuys.com, and that's Illinois. And I think that kind of fits into that, that this is not a program that gets one and dones. Um, you know, we think that maybe Kofi Coburn may uh, leave here after two years, and he's probably uh, one foot out the door. Um, I think he still could develop some more, but, but you know, we'll see what happens here this uh, spring. And, of course, Ayo DeSumo, both those players came back. Uh, what do you see in, in Illinois this year that, uh, that you like and you don't like? Well, I mean, one of the things that both of those players, but particularly Io, affirms is exactly what we just talked about. When when I heard that Io was, I heard some whispers that Io Io was thinking about coming back, and and my reaction was, okay, if he comes back, he has got to spend so much time on the floor between now and the season to make himself a forty percent three point shooter. If he does that then it'll be worth it and it'll make him money and it'll make him it'll help him succeed in the NBA. And so what happens? He comes back. He's a 40% three point shooter because it was question of having enough time and an understanding of, okay, I know what I can do here. I know what I can do there. I'm good at these things and those things, but I'm not good enough at this thing, which is an essential part of the modern game. If I can't do this, I probably can't be a real NBA player. I can make, you know, I can hang around and I can, I can be at the end of somebody's bench and play second quarter minutes and all that. But to be a real NBA player, he's got to make long distance jump shots. So what did he do? He went back and he got that figured out. And in addition to that, he's covered lots of other small things that have led him to become one of the best players in college basketball. Kofi, uh, you know, the, the, the idea of him playing the second year was, first of all, his position is not valued in the way that it was. Five years ago, certainly 15 years ago, 15 years ago, there might not have been a need for him to play a second year. But now the, the first thing he has to do is he has to be able to play on the perimeter. 
not necessarily as a point guard or anything, but he's got to be able to set screens and be active on the perimeter. And, and he's got to be able to defend on the perimeter against opposing bigs who have the ability to shoot the basketball. And if he can't do those two things, then he can't, he can't last. He can't make it. As great as he is, he can't make it in the NBA if he can't do those two things. They won't keep you uh, because that's essential. And so what do you see in the Indiana game but him basically scoring the clinching bucket off an offensive pick and roll that he sets. Trace Jackson Davis gets too concerned about Andre Cabello coming around the left side of, of the screen and there, boom, uh, Kofi cuts down the lane like a freight train, perfect pass, boom, dunk ball game's pretty much over that that's that's understanding how to set the screen reading the where you know understanding that trace got himself too far out that and opened up that lane it's having this the foot speed and the and the nimbleness to be able to move down that lane when you're seven feet 280 pounds or whatever he is i mean that's not easy right but but he did and he can do that now as well as the ability to defend somebody like Trace, uh, both in the post and away, and there are there are you know, Trace is not a uh, not as as much of a extended player. He doesn't take the ball out away from the goal that much. But there are lots of players in the league who can. Nate Reavers, Micah Potter at Wisconsin are an example. Luca Garza, whom uh, certainly Kofi's had some amazing duels with. You have to be able to play out there, and he's shown the capacity to do that at a higher level as a sophomore than he does as a freshman. So the value of that, is, of, the, of both those players coming back is, is being realized now. And they ha they've, had, they've had some hiccups as, as the young players got established. Uh, Adam Miller um, still trying to kind of work his way into being, you know, a, a constant contributor, but he has his moments. Corbello has become a real asset because he's such a gifted passer and finisher. He's not a great shooter, uh, but he's, he, he's really good at getting the ball on the move and forcing defenses to react. And then depending on how they react, if they worry about the pass, he can finish. If they worry about uh, the drive, which they most often do, he's a ridiculous passer. And so those things are coming together. Honestly, I think the thing that has brought the Illini in the last two, three weeks to this point where they're now starting to, you know, they were kind of stagnant on my bracket around a four. I'm getting yelled at a lot by Illini fans that they should be higher. I keep going <laughs> to, you know, those five losses count too. Right. Um, but they're starting to supersede that because Trent Frazier is becoming a real weapon now. And that's, I think if, if, if Miller is not going to be that guy yet, and it's okay that he's not, he still has to contribute. He still has to guard his guy and be a threat. But if he's not going to be a guy that you say, okay, we're going to get three made threes out of this guy, then Trent's got to be that guy a lot of nights. And he has been lately. He's been, and even on a night when he started slowly, probably just as much game situation as anything. Maybe it wasn't that needed. Maybe he didn't feel great, whatever it was. Eventually, when Christian Lander had to take care, take over for Rob Finnessy because Rob was in foul trouble, uh, and Illinois, great credit to the coaching staff, seized on that matchup and said, we're running this stuff for Trent, and then boom, he makes two threes and draws a foul on a third three-pointer, and that really changed the game.
That's a, that's a great point. And that was a personal 8-0 run that you're right. Illinois was at the point where Iowa's still in, but four fouls. He's limited in terms of how aggressive he can be. Trent steps up. He did against Iowa, too. And it goes back to, again, in terms of here's a senior. Uh, here's a guy who's been there. He was the focal point of the offense in Underwood's first year coming in as a Mr. Basketball out of Florida. And he was the guy that, by default, he was the only one who could make buckets. Now he's still that player. Um, but he took the, you know, the challenge by the, the coaching staff, became a better defensive player. Uh, but he's that guy, to your point, if you're going to make a run, you've got to have that third option. If you're bottling up Kofi, if Isle's shot isn't falling, and he proved that last night that as a senior veteran, understanding games, understanding situations, and taking over. One thing about Kofi as well that you pointed on, I'm not, I'm not sure he's getting enough credit on this lately, is his footwork defensively. I thought he did a fantastic job of jumping out and showing against Garza. And, and Luca only had one free throw that he missed the entire game. That was his worst performance at the line since the Big Ten tournament two years ago against, against Illinois when they kept him off the line. And a lot of that was, was Kofi going out and at least showing and making him stop and pause. They would hedge to the side so he couldn't drive around him. And he, did, he couldn't just put up a shot. Uh, the way he does because he's so deadly from out there he did the same thing last night too again his footwork um, has really improved I'd like to see him um, and I think again in a regulation he could have hit that 10 footer there uh, in the paint that's what he's got to do that's missing is that turn to the basket and shoot if he can shoot even 12 feet with with the, with what he's got my goodness he goes from a possible late second round to somewhere in the in mid first round makes himself a lot of money Still time to develop. He still has to, to, to work on some things. But now he's going from making six figures a year to seven figures a year. It's, it's that, would you agree? It's, it's that close. Well, yeah, I, I, but I think, I think the ability that, you, that, that we're talking about with, on both offense and defense to be able to function on the perimeter uh, in terms of just being able to defend on the perimeter uh, and be able to play the opposing big guy to be a rim protector, that's still, that's still a valued skill. I mean, it, 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 in college, a lot of teams that would like to be contenders for the national championship or the Big Ten championship or whatever struggle because they don't have that guy. But, they, but Illinois does, has a great rim protector, a guy who not only can block shots but can jam the lane at the same time because of his size. Yeah. I, I, obviously, if he could make shots at a higher level, whether from the foul line, I, from the – you know, not, not necessarily free throws, but right. shots from the foul line. Uh, if he can do that, or maybe a little below, like you mentioned, that, that even amps him up more. But the number one thing he had to get done to be a real pro prospect was the ability to defend on the perimeter and the, the ability to execute offensive pick and rolls. Uh, if he could be able to be nimble enough to, to move your feet, as you said, uh, and, and, and both execute at both ends on the perimeter as well as he does, or at least close to as well as he, I can't, it's not, I can't say it's as well because he's as good inside as any, <laughs> uh, but uh, well, you know, in the same ballpark with how well he does inside the ability to execute outside. And I thought that, uh, I thought that the, the last two games are a perfect example of that, of how much he's grown. And eventually he will add a jump shot to that, but while he works on that, uh, he can he can he can survive and and pl and play and be a valuable team member at the NBA level with what he has added over the course of the last year.
Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. And he, uh, let's face it, you're, he's still leading the nation in double doubles, um, and he plays in the Big Ten. So um, he he's got some skill. <laughs> <laughs> um, speaking of the conference, you know, Michigan is is in front right now, eight and one, but they're idle until they play Illinois next week. Um, are you sold right now on the Wolverines, or is this just way too tough a league? To, to, to say that they're the team. I, I still think Illinois, Iowa, um, even Wisconsin, I, I think are teams that have a serious shot at, at winning the regular season title. Well, the others are great. Illinois, Iowa, Wisconsin in particular are all terrific. I was sold on Michigan two weeks ago or a week and a half ago when, it, when they shut down. It's, it's impossible to know how a team will react to, to that absence, to that inactivity. Some have used it and used it well and and we're able to gain some, some, uh, mo- not momentum. So they were able to gain some health. They were able to gain uh, conditioning. They, they weren't as worn be- when they came back. And others have been completely knocked off stride. I mean, Michigan State was not trending well when their shutdown came. That was, the, but, but let's not forget it. Half of that Purdue game that, 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 precede their shutdown they were great and the other half they were horrid and instead of being able to use the next couple of days or whatever to address the horde and then come back and and re-emphasize the great and then come back and and maybe put that game in the past they came back and they amplified it in their in their first game out after 12 14 20 days whatever it was uh and they were awful for 40 minutes against records. So it, it, it's hard to know what Michigan will be when they return. I, I suspect they'll still be very good, but they may be somewhat more beatable because of the absence. Uh, they didn't have many problems at the time they left. So they did, everybody can get a little better, but when you're 15 and one, not a lot of room for improvement. So I think what they needed was to stay active and keep building that. And okay, they're probably gonna lose one or two along the way. But now, who knows? Uh, I, I still love their team. I, I think that Hunter Dickinson has been a, a real revelation as a big guy. And if there's anything they can get out of the pause, it's that he was, whether it was uh, because other teams were, were choosing to X him out, uh, he was really starting to struggle a little bit. He had three consecutive single-figure games, and I don't think he had any in the season from the start of his freshman year to that point. So maybe that helps, but uh, I love him. I, I, I think that uh, the wings, uh, Livers and Wagner are tremendous. I, I, I love what they've gotten out of the transfer, Mike Smith. Uh, Eli Brooks has developed a real weapon on defense. It, it's a terrific team. Uh, they are, I think they are in some ways more complete than the other teams because they have more answers and they do defend at a high level. They're top 10 in both offense and defense at Ken Palm, but they are all, they're certainly vulnerable to all those teams you mentioned and many beyond it because the talent in this league and the, and the proficiency in this league runs really all the way to 13. I'm not, you know, Nebraska's not there yet. They'll probably get there in, in, in time under Fred Hoiberg. He's a terrific coach, but they're not there yet. Uh, Northwestern's starting to fade a little bit, but they're still in the first halves of every game they play just about. So one can't preclude the possibility that they can't, they, they, that against a good team, they couldn't come out and do that for 40 minutes. And Michigan State, 
after after the Iowa game, you have to start thinking, yeah, you think that one's going to be an easy one? It's still Michigan State. They still got 11 good players. They still got one a Hall of Fame coach. So if you get caught thinking that's going to be easy, you're in trouble. And everybody else has has significant wins up and down their their schedule. So I, I think it's 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 a really hard league to say this team's going to win it because any one of 12 or 13 teams could knock could knock that team off and then the other one could come along and do it and all of a sudden you know a, a two game lead in the standings becomes a, a tie atop the atop the leaderboard that's a great point and you think too i think of maryland with uh, a pair of road wins over ranked teams at wisconsin at illinois they just beat purdue um they're you know as well a coach team as anybody and like a michigan state team you can't count out Maryland and all this. I mean, they were a team that a month ago you'd think NCAA tournament. Are you kidding me? They're in the conversation now uh, because of, of what they've done. Um, I've got just a couple of minutes left. Um, you're, you're, what are you hearing about in terms of the NCAA tournament? Is it still a go? I mean, we've got the bubble format we're going to work on. It seems to me they're going to do everything possible to, to get this thing uh, played in March. Oh, without a doubt. And, and I broke a story about a week ago, the, I wish someone uh, in the business shared with me the the list of protocols that were sent out to each team. I don't I don't know if they sent out 350 of them. I guess it's not that cheap. I mean, it's not that expensive now because you can just send a PDF. <laughs> they sent it to they sent it out uh, to those teams that uh, that want to be in the NCAA tournament. And here's what you have to do if you are either an automatic qualifier or you are selected. Uh, and and some of the protocols are quite severe. It, it, just as an example, if you're if you're UCLA, say, okay, so you you go to Vegas, uh, presumably still Vegas. I don't think they've changed their venue. They may yet. I don't know. But you go to Vegas for the Pac-12 tournament. If you if you are eliminated prior to your championship game, they want you to stay where you are. They don't want you going home because they don't want you to expose yourself to another trip that you don't have to make. So they want you to stay where you are. They're going and then once you're selected, they're going to fly you in on a charter from Vegas to Indy. You can't you can't eat or drink on the flight. You better make sure that you are fully uh, uh, full and hydrated before you start to fly. Uh, you have to have your mask on at all time. You have to you have to wear eyewear. I and, and that up to and including either a face shield or goggles. Um, there. There are all these protocols because what the NCAA doesn't want is they don't want to bring 68 teams to Vegas and have, I don't know, one, two, three, four, however many, all of a sudden get here, test again, and that now they can't play. They don't want that. Right. Uh, and certainly the teams don't want that. So they're, they're, they're being as strict as possible in that regard. And some people viewed it as draconian when I wrote it. I thought, you know what? It, 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 it's not, you know, if, if the NCAA has to invite someone else because you had a positive test when you got there, I mean, that NCAA still can find 12 guys to play, but you lose a, an opportunity that you had earned. So that, so I don't think it's draconian to say all this. I, I think it's, I, I think it's, 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 cons it's concern. It's legitimate concern. You're the bigger loser if the NCAA has to call up number 69 and say, Hey, can you get the Indy? Mm -hmm. So that's, that's why the protocols are what they are. I don't have any doubt the tournament will happen. 
I have at least a little doubt that they'll get those 68 teams from point A to point B um, without one of them or more having to say we're out either before the competition begins or even, you know, maybe on once the competition begins, I think it's less likely that they'll lose anybody along the way, but it's still a possibility. Obviously we want everybody to make it all the way through the protocols for basketball, make that more of a challenge. Super Bowl, we've, we've got all the way through. Nobody had to drop out, all that sort of stuff. But the protocols for football have been different all the way. Uh, if you have a wide receiver test positive, they're not shutting down the, the secondary. Um, they're letting them play. They're just taking the wide receiver out. Well, in basketball, it's been if the point guard's down, everybody's down. If, the, if, you know, if, a, if a student manager is down, everybody's down. And so that's been, that's made it harder. And that's why there have been more interruptions than there have been in some other sports. But I will say this, Larry, when people talk about the possibility, you know, still, I still get questions, you know, is it going to happen? And I, no one else has failed to get to the end. There have, it's been a challenge for everybody. No, no sport has failed to get to the end. And, and it, there are interruptions, but Every night when I look, and, and, I, and I never check until the day of the game now, because, you, you know, it, oh, look, this game's coming up. No, man, I'm not doing that. <laughs> ESPN, God bless them. And I understand it. They're hyping North Carolina Duke, even in a down year for both, because it's still North Carolina Duke. But I'm not worried about North Carolina Duke because it's Tuesday or whatever. <laughs> Saturday, let's worry about today. So I look at the schedule every day, Tuesday, Wednesday, whatever, and there are way more games that I'm interested in than I can possibly watch them all. So even with games being postponed, it's still been an abundant season. It's still been a rewarding season. And I want to say that I give all the credit to the players, the coaches, the managers. Uh, they're, they're making significant sacrifices for their own sake because they want to play and they want to compete. But we also reap the rewards as people who love the game and love to watch. It's a great point. And, and I think to your point, again, this has gone, it's such an unusual season. This is every single day to your point, coaching staff, support staff, players, nobody knowing if today somebody may test, even though they did everything right. And now your season's put back in jeopardy. I mean, they, they live with that every single day of playing through and then if you have another team that cancels, you've got, you know, Illinois had a 10-day break before the Iowa game. Uh, Iowa had a nine-day break before the Illinois game. So um, it's, it's to your point, staying focused and doing all the things correctly. And we are the winners of that. My final question, um, obviously, Gonzaga and Baylor are the cream of the crop of 2021. If you were to pick two teams in the, in the final game, it would be those two. But we know it's, it's March Madness. Ending can happen. Give me, give me two other teams that you think right now uh, have a shot at, uh, uh, at being the champions, if it's not Gonzaga or Baylor? Ooh, at being the champions, um, I'm going to say Michigan because they have a complete group, offense, defense, big guy, point guard, shooting. Uh, that, I, think they, I think they have to be the next one on that list, even though it feels lazy to pick uh, an, another team that is headed for a number one seed. And then, and, and, and now it's going to feel like pandering. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, I'm on an Illinois podcast, but I mean, we just went through it. They have two pros. They have a first round pick. They have, they have uh, 
you know, really good point guard play with what Corbello has been able to add in terms of playmaking and with what Andre already has uh, and, and has shown. I mean, to have two guys that are capable of seven, eight assist nights, and it's not always necessarily mutually exclusive, I think is, is really impressive. And you mentioned the defensive improvement. Uh, and how much how much better they've gotten at that end uh, over the course of the last month or so, as Adam one has started to understand what what his size and strength and length can mean as a college defender. Uh, they they're they're 17th in the nation in defensive efficiency. You can win it from there. They have all the the one ingredient that they have to have locked down that has been somewhat sporadic for them. And, and, that, and that is the one possibility to, uh, you know, to perhaps uh, maybe make a difference for them is, do they shoot the basketball well enough every night? And honestly, their, 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 their overall number in that category is really good. I mean, uh, they are right where they wanna be, but you, st- you, know, you still have to have not just the overall percentage, but guys making that shot over and over and lately Trent has been that player and and if Adam makes that shot more regularly than he does now I mean they become even more dangerous and there's nothing I mean it's it's early February there is nothing to preclude him from becoming another player like that by the time the the biggest games are played we've seen it scores of times look you're not going to turn a non-shooter into a shooter in a month especially when there are games going on but you can get a shooter to start making shots. And he's a shooter. He, you know, he, he's a guy who, who, who has made shots uh, in, his career, in his high school career, in his college career. He's a shooter. He may not be Steph Curry. Uh, he may yet be, but he, he may not be now. But he can get back to being a guy that you can regularly throw the ball to and expect that if he's open and, and it's the proper rotation and it's time, that that shot can go in. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I think that to your point too, so of it, of it is matchups. I saw one, it wasn't yours. It was another bracketology somewhere that had Illinois in a bracket that was not Gonzaga or Baylor. And, uh, and well, our insider and our co-founder, co-owner, uh, Brad Sturdy, I think he, he's the one that tweeted out and said, I would take this and run with this right now. <laughs> <laughs> As a three seed in a bracket that's not Gonzaga or Baylor. Uh, but like you said, there's a lot of basketball to come. Mike, it has been uh, wonderful to talk with you. Tell us quickly, um, uh, when can we see you next on, uh, on BTN? Well, I am, uh, I am uh, doing uh, my show, my, my appearances on the pregame shows each week, each Saturday uh, from my home studio. Um, and so you can see me pretty, every Saturday pregame show I will be on from now until the end of the regular season. And, and, I've been, you know, very appreciative, very appreciative of the folks at BTN uh, continuing to, to have me uh, visit the shows from, from that perspective. Uh, you can also catch me, uh, usually it's one weeknight a week uh, on, on Fox uh, talking about brackets and, and as, as well as I appear every week on the Inside the Big East program that Fox does. And then you can find my writing at TSN Mike on Twitter or at sportingnews.com. At TSN Mike on Twitter, be sure to give him a follow. Mike DeCourcy, senior basketball writer with the Sporting News. 
uh, hopefully we can uh, find room in your schedule to talk again as we get closer to the tournament um, and get your insights. It is always a pleasure to talk with you and continue success to you. And, and uh, here's to enjoying the rest of the season. Larry, you're the best. Great to catch up with you. And I will make time for you anytime. I appreciate that, my friend. Take care of yourself. That's Mike DeCorsi. This is, again, uh, I on the Illini, IlliniGuys.com. Thanks so much for listening, and uh, thanks for joining in and what we're doing. Be sure to check out uh, the website sometime. Don't forget, seven-day free trial. And for all annual subscribers, the first 300, you get a chance to win a free three-night stay at a Maui resort. Uh, if you sign up now, we'll even throw in some golf. How's that? All right. Have a great day. Thanks for listening.